Let me take you into the sermon today. You may have noticed the title is Ignorance in Israel. As evangelical Christians, which we are a part of in the EPC, we support Israel. That's part of the reason why the session here called the church into a week of prayer, or prayer and fasting, or a week of fasting for Israel. Uh, do we support Israel because they're pure and holy and righteous? No. They have problems like every other country. You know, every nation has issues. But we love them. And we will continue to pray for them. We will continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we will give them support. Why? Because in the scriptures, God says that he will bless those who bless Abraham and curse those who curse Abraham in Genesis 12. And we recognize that the people of Jewish descent, whether in Israel or around the world, are physically children of Abraham. If you study the wars of Israel since 1940, you'll see God move on their behalf. It's one of the more fascinating things. Go look at any of those wars and you'll see, you see God's hand. Is there, is there, are there atrocities? Yes. Are there problems? Yes. Uh, if right now you're saying, yes, I want to support Israel, but I also want to pray for the innocent people in Gaza. Absolutely. War is a horrible thing. But again, our hearts go to Israel. But as Christians, the Bible also says that those in Christ are children of Abraham through faith in Galatians 3.7. Peter will even apply a statement made to Israel to the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, this is Peter writing to the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. You will see this if you go to Deuteronomy 14, 12, if you go to some other passages. These statements are applied to Israel. Peter will apply them to us. But let me read to you the verse for today since we're talking about ignorance. And again, going into becoming learned. And this verse, which is Romans eleven twenty five, is a reflection. We're going to be in Romans chapter 11, but I'm only going to go after verse verse 25 to preach from, I'll reflect into back into Romans chapter 11 through the sermon, but the verse reads, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I want to take you into this passage. Again, we're continuing the ignorance series of sermons. It's kind of a funky title for a series, but that's where we're at. We're dealing with, with these words, dealing with ignorance. And Paul started about by writing, For I do not desire, brothers and sisters, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Paul doesn't want us ignorant about a mystery. When Paul writes this, it denotes that he is going to reveal something new to us. Of course, this was thousands of years ago. But he says, he says this statement. What is it with wise in your own opinion, opinion statement? 
Again, Paul was writing to the Christians in Rome. This is out of the book of Romans. And to us. When the church started, just so you know, it was only Jewish. You all know that, right? For the first nine chapters of the books of, book of Acts, it's all Jewish. But when the church grew in Gentiles, and anytime you're reading the Scriptures, you run across the word Gentile, it just means someone who's not Jewish. I don't have Jewish blood. Looked into it at one point just to see, but in my searching it out, found out I'm a non-Jew. I'm Gentile. But the church began to grow in Gentiles, or all of us non-Jewish people. And what happened? Have you ever wondered why Israel hasn't turned to God with all their heart and followed the Messiah? Paul will answer this. He says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Blindness from the Greek porosis, it means a hardening, dulled perception to be so callous as to be numb. The inference here is that God has hardened the hearts of many of the descendants of Israel. Paul expounds earlier in Romans chapter 11 in verses 7 and 8, which again, I didn't read through all of Romans 11 to preach this sermon. Why? Because that's a lot of scripture to read. Uh, it's great. Read it on your own. But in 7 and 8, if you're there, you can read this. It says, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should see, sorry, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. Who are the elect that Paul's referring to here? As I study this and as I understand it, it's Jewish descendants of Israel like himself. Yes, we believe in election in the Presbyterian Church, in the Reformed Churches. If, you, if you're a student of Calvinism, we believe in election. We believe in the election of Israel. For the Jews, there was no difficulty understanding election, going back to that Abraham was the elect of God. God chose a whole family line. But here Paul would be saying, Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect obtained it, and the rest, and the rest were blinded. So it's a reference actually to the elect within Israel. They are a remnant who have obtained a relationship with God through the Messiah. To the rest, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Stupor here can also be translated as a spirit of sleep. They are awake, but not with God. Think about Jesus descending to the temple. Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. It says this, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, now think about this. This is his triumphal entry. This is coming down from Bethany. It's coming down the Mount of Olives. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but they are now hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. What Jesus is saying is, I am descending, I am coming to the temple, I am the Messiah. But you can't see it. 
and he's talking about a time. This is a, don't think time as in the watch. Think about a Kairos moment. You're missing this moment when the Messiah is arriving. He's coming to the temple. And so he's speaking judgment over Jerusalem. He's saying you'll be leveled. As you know, he did prophesy Rome's leveling of the temple in A.D. 70. If you remember, he's with his disciples at one point. They go, oh my goodness, look how gorgeous this is. He goes, it's nothing. It will be torn down. He said, these things are hidden from your eyes. You see, God opens eyes and he closes them, both physically and spiritually. How many of you ever read Brother Andrew's God Smuggler? Fantastic book, right? If you remember, he's smuggling Bibles into a communist country. And they're all over inside of it. I believe it's a Volkswagen bug, if I remember correctly. And he has to pray. He says, God, you've opened blind eyes. Now make seeing eyes blind. And the, the guards look through it, and they don't see anything. And when you read the story, and he's able to take the Bibles, which are illegal in communism in some communist countries, to give to people. If God hadn't blinded those eyes, they would have confiscated the Bibles and arrested Brother Andrew. I mean, crossing borders is just... It's, it's an interesting thing. I, I shared with some of you, when I went into Romania with Eastron Boyder, I, mean, I had to learn how to cross the border with him. Because he said, look, when you get to the border, uh, they'll probably ask you, are you a Christian? He said, what are you going to say? Of course, I said, oh, I'll say yes. He goes, no, you won't. <laughs> you will ask them, what is a Christian? Then if the guard speaks enough English to say, well, a Christian is a follower of Jesus, now you say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. He said, otherwise they may not speak enough English. They only learn to ask you a question. They're listening for a yes. I learned from that man how to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove, which is what Jesus told us to do. There are times when you have to walk in wisdom around governmental systems. Because Jesus sends us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. His words, not mine. But God can open and close eyes and ears and everything else and watch over. And in this case, though, it's the closing of the eyes. As Jesus said, but now they are hidden from your eyes, the the things that would make for peace. How long will this stupor, this slumber last on Israel? Paul answers that by saying, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is like one of the most amazing things to read in the Scripture because you go, what in the world? What do you mean the fullness of the Gentiles coming in? Fullness is from the Greek pleroma. It means full number or full measure. Also a filling or that which fills up a deficiency. It can also mean a patch. Like Jesus even uses it when you don't put a patch on a garment, right? You don't put a pleroma on a garment. Uh, it's it's going to tear. This is the same image as he's saying when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. In other words, the full number of Gentiles have been saved. That's why we have to be doing evangelism. We've got to be in on this. We've got to help get the full number in. But what that also tells us is that God has set a number. You know, say, well, we'll kind of weigh it out when we get there, see how we're doing. It says when the fullness or the full number of Gentiles has come in, what does that mean? God has set a number for the Gentiles that will come into the Messiah's church. Remember that Jesus is building a church. And a divine number is set by God, and we don't know what the number is. But when it is reached, the gate will close for non-Jews. 
phone number for what, though? What's, what, what is this all about? What are we filling? I have to take you back into Romans chapter 11, verses 17 through 20, where Paul writes, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, he's talking to me there, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. These are Paul's words to us as Gentiles. What he's saying is, when it comes to Israel, branches were cut or broken away because of unbelief. Us, the Gentiles, are being filled in. We're being attached. And grafting is not just something where you throw a branch. My grandpa was a pruning apricot farmer. I, I grew up watching pruning of apricot trees and prune trees. A lot of times you want to have a really steady base tree and then you can bring in the fruit. My, my family loved Blenheim uh, apricots. We think they're the best things on the planet. Dried, we go crazy for the things. It's just a Pittman thing. But grandpa had to cut the branch off that he didn't want he has to take a tool, and he's going to put it up there, and he's going to hammer it in. It's going to split that branch. Then he's going to have two twigs of the, the variety of apricot he wants. He's going to, he's going to whittle those down so they have a, like, almost like a screwdriver point on a, on a standard screwdriver. He's going to put those in, and he's going to take beeswax to protect it, and he's going to just cover it. I don't, I don't know the modern. I just know how Grandpa did it. My dad did it. And he's going to cover a beeswax to keep away infection and to keep those new sprigs in place. Grafting is an art. Larry Pat's saying yes. Grafting is an art. It is a science. That's what God's done with us. If you aren't Jewish, God took you and he took us off wild trees. When I was in Israel, I took pictures. But if you've ever been around, you can see wild olive trees when you ride in buses. They're just growing on the side of the road. It just sprung up. Uh, you can also see the cultivated farms. They, there are also olive farms. I love olive oil, people. I cook. I love the stuff. I also love dipping in it. I like using it. it it's fantastic, wonderful oil. But you can see the difference because in Israel, the cultivated farms have fences up. The trees are in rows. They've been pruned because the farmers are expecting stuff. The wild ones, they just grow on the side of the road. There's no pruning. They're just all over the place. It's a mess. Why? Because nobody cares. It's just a wild tree. Grew up on its own. No one's going to prune it. No one's looking for fruit off the thing. That's the difference. You see, when God says that we've been grafted into the cultivated tree, we came from, I mean, come on, my, my roots? I, I'm Scotch-Irish. I don't think it gets any more wild than that. <laughs> so I was taken from, from that, that tree, and I was put into, into God's tree, into God's family. I got adopted into God's family, and I got grafted into the cultivated tree. And even when I went to Israel, how many of you have been to Israel and got your, your grafted-in t-shirts? I, I have one of those. Or you have like jewelry with the grafted-in symbol. It has the menorah, and it, it, eventually it has the fish, and I can't remember the other image in the middle. But anyway, not important. There's a whole image for the grafted-in symbol, which replies to us. You got it right there? It's a cross. I think you're right. So 
look, my sermons need help, okay? I get it. You are praying, right? So you are praying. We might as well just go out and skate. As non-Jews, we've been grafted into the family tree of Abraham through Christ. Christianity is not a European religion. Paul was very Jewish. Let me read to you from Philippians 3, 5 through 6, where he's actually reading his credits. When he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of, he- of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's his view of himself. Of course, he calls it all rubbish. Jesus Jesus, when you read him in the Gospels, he's the most orthodox Jewish man you've ever read about or ever thought about. He was more orthodox than anybody in Israel in their history up till now, all the way back to the beginning. It's interesting. You know, I just went to a museum recently. Actually, I went to the Chrysler Museum. They have images of Jesus. I love it. You know, the painters paint him in like a Venetian style. You know, they're all wearing Venetian. You know, Venetians believe, many of them, but Jesus wasn't Venetian. In fact, you all know that when we use the name Jesus, it's a derivative, it's an Anglicanized version, Englishized version, however you want to say that, of Yeshua. When he was on the planet, he went by Yeshua. And then the Greeks grabbed it, turned it into Jesus, and then we made it English by calling him Jesus. You can call him any one of those three you want. He answers to all of them. That's the beauty of Jesus. He deals with me and my ignorance. But here's the deal. We are one church that Jesus is building. Jew and non-Jew, i.e. Gentiles. There are not two churches that Jesus is building. There isn't a separate way for people of Jewish descent to be saved versus non-Jews. All receiving everlasting life must be saved through Jesus. As Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He was saying that in Israel. He was preaching it to the Jews. Remember that the gospel went first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, right? That is extremely important. Just like when Jesus fed the 5,000, and then he turns around and feeds the 4,000, as I understand it from my studies, the first time, five is the number of grace. It's done in a predominantly Jewish area. The second time, it's done in a predominantly Gentile area. That's why he repeats the miracle. He's giving his body. Four is the number of the world, the four corners of the world, or the ways of the world. So the first miracle takes place in a predominantly Jewish area, second time, predominantly Gentile area. Why? Because the gospel goes first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, to us. And I am very thankful for that. In application, God, Paul goes on to say that all Israel will be saved in verse 26. This is considered a Jewish idiom. This is not retroactive as in God's going to go back through all the history and save all of them. The idea, and you read the commentaries, you can disagree with this, fine. But the idea here, as I understand it, is he's saying that when the full number of Gentiles has come in and the time of the Gentiles is done, it's not that the Gentiles leave, it's just that when the full number has come in, And God turns to the Jews, and he'll lift the stupor. He will save them. All on the planet. Nevertheless, never let a haughtiness or pride enter your heart over those of Jewish descent, my brothers and sisters. 
Don't sit there and say, well, I'm in Christ, and they aren't. That's what Paul is warning us about. Always remain humble. Never let anti-Semitism enter into your hearts or minds. You study world history, and you know that Satan has gone after them hard. He would like to kill them all. So what do we do? We join Paul in Romans 10.1. He says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. It is okay to pray for Israel. It is okay to pray that they be saved. I, I believe this is part of the reason why we haven't seen any like really major revivals going on in Israel. Yes, many people of Jewish descent accept Jesus Christ. We call them Messianic Jews. And yes, their hearts many times are, are closed. Uh, I've been amazed talking with people who are Jewish who will say, yes, I can become a Buddhist Jewish, a, Jew, a Jewish individual. I can become a Hindu Jewish. I can become anything I want. I just, my family will fall apart if I accept Christ. Uh, I've met some who have been disowned. But, brothers and sisters, let's pray. Let's join Paul and say that our heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. I look forward to the day of hearing news of major revivals coming out of Israel. Maybe God begins to start to lift the stupor. Maybe he takes that off of them. This is not, when I preach this, this is not my idea. I'm, I, this is coming from the Apostle Paul who is teaching us these things. But let us not be ignorant about what God has done. And for those of you who do not have Jewish blood, you have been grafted into the tree, the cultivated tree, because it's the law that cultivates. And as we've been singing to God all day and hearing, God loves you. He loves you intensely. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we do join with Paul. And we pray for Israel. We pray that they will be saved. Lord God, we pray for those of Jewish descent that you will open up their hearts, that they will come to the Messiah, that they will seek out Yeshua, Jesus. But more important, God, that you will seek them out. Lord God, keep us from having haughty eyes because we're in the faith, that we follow the Messiah. Our heart is that you will save them. Lord God, we ask your forgiveness if we've ever had in our hearts in any way, any form of anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic feelings instead of having just a deep love for this wonderful group of people. God, will you protect them? Will you, will you give peace to Jerusalem? God, will you break our hearts for Israel? Will you break our hearts for our brothers and sisters who are Jewish in the faith? Will you break our hearts for those who are not in the faith? God, we ask that you break our hearts for anyone who doesn't know you. God, will you lift judgment off of our hearts? Our culture is so upside down. Lord God, it's so easy to judge them rather than cry for them and come before you and say, God, save them. 
Save them, Lord God. Bring them into this house. They don't have to come Christianized. We want them to come and hear the gospel, the good news of your kingdom, the good news that they can be grafted into your family, adopted by you. Oh, Lord God. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Please. We love you.